This week in Washington, reporters spent a lot of time trying to convince Republican lawmakers to respond to a presidential tweet. In his latest controversial tweet, President Trump has claimed that the protester injured by Buffalo police officers late last week could be linked to Antifa. The fringe Trump had accused a 75-year-old man knocked over by police in Buffalo of being a member of Antifa. And I should say this claim is baseless. And this protester, he's still in the hospital. Monica, anything more from Republicans or the campaign regarding the president's tweet? No, Chris, and I think that's what's most striking here is the silence. Often when you have the... I mean, Trump said he wanted to declare Antifa a terrorist organization a few weeks back, right? (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. Brandi Zadrozny is an NBC News correspondent. She covers online culture, spends a lot of time in the darker corners of the Internet. She says it would be pretty hard to declare Antifa a terrorist organization. They're not very organized, for one. The Antifa, or anti-fascists... They're mostly connected by their tactics. They embrace vandalism, looting. They want to fight. And it's rooted in this idea that, you know, the Nazis would have never come to power in Germany if people had literally fought them in the streets in the 20s. So Antifa's not new, but Trump is bringing it up now. And Brandy thinks that's worth paying attention to. Antifa has been one of uh, President Trump and, and, and the far right's, you know, sort of boogeymen for a while. Black Lives Matter was also a similar sort of boogeyman uh, group for, for those folks. And, but now I think as, as Black Lives Matter has become a sort of national, widely accepted group and, and protest movement, I think that now we're, we're heading back to Antifa as, you know, the, the easier boogeyman here. Brandy says Antifa is a useful foil for Trump right now. You might not see how successful the Antifa myth has been, but it's gotten amazing traction in towns and neighborhoods across the country. Brandy's seen people freak out about Antifa in these closed Facebook groups. So what we've seen from um, our investigation is that these private groups have really been trafficking in these false rumors that Antifa is is not just like a nebulous threat on the far left, but that it's actually coming to your town. It's coming for Main Street. And that is the new thing here. Today on the show, how the fear of Antifa is spreading through digital whisper networks that can be hard for an outsider to penetrate. It turns out these online rumors are having real-life consequences. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Brandy's big point about the digital rumors around Antifa is that misinformation doesn't stay online. And when some people hear that Antifa is coming to their town, they start girding themselves for battle. It sounds like a joke, but this is happening. Brandy saw it unfold in Oregon, in a little town called Klamath Falls. The people there weren't doing anything unusual a week ago. 
they were watching protests sweep major cities around the country. So a bunch of locals decided to plan a Black Lives Matter protest of their own. Unbeknownst to them, other people in the region were gearing up for an Antifa invasion. Online, what was happening was a rumor, and it was leading um, anti-protesters to come and line the other side of the street, very armed, very intimidating, and waiting for this fight with Antifa that ultimately never came. They had a live stream from the Black Lives Matter side, and they had a live stream from the counter-protesting side where everybody, 200 people, came armed, ready to fight this Antifa rumor that they had heard on Facebook. I was called that there's Antifa's here and they're going to trash our town. I was called that uh, all hell's going to break loose in Columbia County tonight. You know, you mentioned these Facebook groups. What did you find? Like, what was going on in these Facebook groups to kind of get people interested, concerned, and scared. I was able to join this private Facebook group and and just see when the first mention of Antifa coming to town. And it was interesting because this rumor spread so fast. And maybe that's why the response was so extreme too, because the panic was just severe. So it started with this Facebook post saying, you know, I'm not one to, to spread fake news, but there are two buses heading this way from Portland, full of Antifa members. Um, they're loaded with guns and bricks, and they're going to destroy Klamath Falls. They're going to murder police officers, and they're going to go to residential areas, and they're going to mess up the white neighborhoods. Who sent that message? Just a resident. Nobody special, nobody in particular, a young woman that's in no way that I can tell did not respond to me to my request for comment. But she's truly a resident, so it didn't come from nowhere. The woman was reposting something she'd seen on Twitter. And the problem was, it was wrong. A white nationalist group posing as Antifa had sent a message out, claimed they were going to target white communities, that they were going there to take what's ours. Then Donald Trump Jr. retweeted that message as a kind of warning. That's when Facebook groups, like the one in Klamath Falls, began lighting up. People simply copied and pasted the bad information and posted it. Now, it's important to know a lot of people initially were like, what? No, like this isn't, (laughs) that's not happening. But then a couple of hours later at most, someone else posted what they said was a screenshot from this Colonel Jeff Edwards. And he's the commander of the Oregon Air National Guard. Uh, in Klamath Falls, and he that person posted a screenshot, and it said, you know, hey, team, to his airmen, um, please avoid downtown. There's uh, We've received intel that there could be two busloads of Antifa protesters coming to Klamath Falls. They're coming at 8.30. Every, this guy, he's a hero in this small town, and everybody believed that, and so immediately was like, okay, mount up. And then you saw all the responses were like, this must be true. Who's saying this? And then then it was attributed to law enforcement officials had told him. And so suddenly we're just playing this game, a very small telephone. But very quickly, 
what sort of happened in this group was it turned to people going out and looking for these buses. Because again, it's a small town. You're going to notice two busloads full of Antifa protesters. So they go out and they go to the Walmart and they go to, um, you know, vantage points where they can see the highway and just start looking and posting what they see. Someone said uh, that they saw, you know, somebody in black at, at the grocery store at Albertsons. So it just became this sort of scavenger hunt for for the people of Klamath Falls. And offline, what they started doing is uh, meeting in real spaces. They met at a space that's dedicated to um, military folks, and they started hatching a plan to come armed. And they gave out blue armbands so everyone would know who the people were, you know, that were there to protect the businesses and fight Antifa if they had to. And then a few hours later, they were on the street. When did they actually find what they were looking for? (laughs) Yeah, so they came out looking for Antifa, and they never found it because Antifa never came, of course. So instead of fending off foreign invaders, the group of would-be Paul Revere's found themselves in a good, old-fashioned counter-protest. Their side had guns. The other side had signs. The Black Lives Matter supporters, though, they were flummoxed and intimidated. They hadn't been on these spaces. They weren't in the private spaces where people were getting the blue armbands and planning like to be armed. So they didn't know what they were walking into. And they were very afraid, as you might imagine, when you see a group of 200 mostly white men um, all holding guns and shotguns and somebody had an AK and ARs. And so for them, they they really were afraid. And the other, I think, prevailing emotion there and what they described to me was pride, like so proud of their little town. They've been there now eight days in a row. People who are sort of on the margins on these communities have come out and, and made their voices heard. And that's been um, really, uh, I don't powerful. Hmm. One of the characters who really stood out from your reporting was one of the few Black residents of Klamath Falls who was part of the Black Lives Matter protest. And was sort of seeing the residents of his town in this new way. I wonder if you can talk about him a little bit. Yeah, uh, Frederick Brigham. Um, he is a musician. He goes by uh, the name Wreck the Rebel and also Little Freddy. Um, but he he hadn't come to, um, he didn't plan to come out to the protest. And he um, was at a pizza shop nearby and he had heard that this was happening. And he was like, well, I'm one of the only Black people in this town. So I guess I should walk on over. And he did. He he walked over and he said it was like walking through an enemy camp. Several people um, in uh, uh, in the counter protesting um, camp across the street uh, yelled things like "Go home," and you know, as along with their USA USA Trump uh, chants, there was a lot of "Go homes." He said that he always sort of felt like an outsider. He said he felt lonely. Uh, He felt isolated. He felt sometimes scared um, just to live in that county. He said he has a six-month-old baby boy, so he was there to sort of um, make a statement um, about being a father of of a young Black boy as well. 
it was it was definitely hard for him, uh, no doubt. But he's a he's a character, and the counter protesters did end up speaking to him because he is very charismatic and he's able to speak um, pretty loudly about how he feels. And so there were a, a few bridges built between those sides through him that night too. He said, "I want to highlight a couple of things from your story that I think are important and worth picking apart more. Like first off, there's the fact that Facebook." is really important to signal boosting these rumors about Antifa. And the second thing is that members of the military, like this National Guard person, are bolstering rumors that are later found to be untrue. I'm wondering if there are other examples where you're seeing these Antifa rumors trickle into more official channels. We've seen local police departments and law enforcement agencies having to either come out and say, there's nothing here, you know, calm down. Or they've said, and it's been published in local media there, that they've said, okay, we are responding to rumors that there has been, that Antifa is coming on a bus. Um, It's happening everywhere. Like, I, I I don't know how else to say, you could give me a town and I can find you a Facebook group there that's a local closed Facebook group with community news. And I would be willing to bet you that there is some talk about Antifa right now in those groups. Hmm. Were you able to speak to Facebook about their role here? Um, no, we did not speak to Facebook um, on this story. I, I've, I work a lot in Facebook groups. I I've probably published hundreds of stories about these very insular spaces and their importance in what people believe and and what they do, not only online but off. Facebook groups is that's that's where they're growing their audience. They've moved, they've pivoted to privacy since they've lost the trust of a bunch of people by, you know, mishandling their data and doing other things to breach the public trust. And so they've moved to these private spaces and we just have no idea about what's going on there. So all of the problems that Facebook used to have between white supremacy to medical misinformation to political disinformation, that's all happening. You just can't see it anymore. But no, they did not uh, respond to a request for this story. Yeah. I mean, something that stood out to me from your reporting is that you reported on these Facebook groups where the Antifa rumors were spreading and especially these videos where local people live stream to themselves talking about their concerns about Antifa coming to them and just how popular <laughs> those were, like how many likes they had, how many shares. And then you also talked about that one Black resident of Klamath Falls who who you'd spent some time talking to and how he was also live streaming himself but only 14 people were watching. And so there's this huge disparity in whose voice is being amplified. Yes. <laughs> the truth is sometimes uh, boring. <laughs> like, you know, I, I watched both live streams. They were four hours each, and I watched them in totality. And I can tell you that uh, protests where people are quietly saying the names of Black men and women who have been killed in police custody and, you know, talking politely to one another for four hours is a lot less gripping than one in which a, a man travels around with a rifle on his chest and tons of bulletproof vests all around and men in pipe with pipes, you know, over their shoulders chanting and talking about this threat that's coming um, to kill everyone. That's 
that's gripping, whether it's true or not. And I think people who work in this disinformation space have almost, basically, the people I've talked to have given up on um, expecting the platforms to do anything about this. Um, They've signaled that they won't and they don't care. I think what the new uh, tactic is, is almost like, um, like a polluted actual ecosystem, right? A polluted environment is that at some point, you know, you want the the large industrial waste makers to, to clean up their plants. But what you also have to do is depend on each one of us to recycle, to, you know, take care of our own streets. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people in Klamath Falls that have said, you know, okay, maybe next time I won't share something um, so quickly, or maybe next time I'll be um, more careful with what I believe online. And I think that's where it starts. And that's sort of the hope. That's a really interesting way to put it, because just to compare this to you know pollution, where it's like, okay, well, we're not going to bring down Exxon tomorrow, but <laughs> we can clean up a stream, maybe, if we all work together. Yeah. And I mean, it is local, especially with these groups. Again, I'm still in this group. So even after this story, you know, there are still people saying, well, you know, Antifa was here and we ran them off. But <laughs> but I spoke to I spoke to a fellow who owns a pool bar and he had posted a, a post that went viral that said, you know, we beat Antifa. We had them here on the ropes and they ran away and they didn't know what they were up against. And I called him and said, do you still stand by that tweet? And he basically said, oh, well, no, I guess not. And just, just a quick talking to, he admitted that, yeah, the protesters probably felt really scared and threatened. He said, you know, I have multiracial grandchildren. I feel terrible about what happened to George Floyd. And, you know, I, I, I think we got away with ourselves and what we saw online. And, and that acknowledgement, I do think there's, you know, when people do realize they've made that mistake, they are more careful in the future about what they share. Um, so it's just going to, we're just going to have to reach every single person on social media and, and empathetically show them the error of their ways. And then the problem will be solved. No sweat. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier than getting the platforms to do anything, that's for sure. Hmm. Brandy Zadrozny, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Mary. Brandy Zadrozny is an NBC News correspondent. Go to NBCNews.com for more of her reporting. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. Tomorrow, Lizzie O'Leary will be here for another episode of What Next TBD. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. Talk to you on Monday. There's one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, but I'm just not sure how to, like, jam it into this, which is... Am I Antifa? (laughs) Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.